Yeah, Mr. Jones will not be joining us tonight for reasons unbeknownst. But I got some new gear tonight, so you let me know if I have any audio issues. I got a double microphone preamp such that as we start traveling again, now that we're back to normal, quote unquote, we could actually start doing some some nice live stuff. Well, maybe this uh, waste management thing might actually happen. Mas, mas exciting endo. Yeah? Yeah? You think so? Five temptations. Uh-huh. One mic. Yeah? That's good, yeah? Let's start the show. Bottle of Brown podcast. I'm your host, Danny Paul. Across from me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon, the Regent of Rage, the Liege Lord of the Loathlands. That's right. Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. I was getting concerned. No one's going to cheer for me tonight. <laughs> of course they are. Of course they are. Danny, how the heck are you? Don't be silly. How are you, sir? We're recording on the third of november very important day for us here leon because it is one post halloween which we will get into when we get into our parenting segment and it is also pre time change for you sir and also also pre midterm elections important time in our Mm. life get the hell out there and vote whoever you vote for i don't care i think we all are most excited about the election is that we don't have to watch these commercials anymore or listen to them on the radio I want to be able to watch the World Series without understanding who the senator in Pennsylvania is, because I don't care. <laughs> Just want to watch the Phillies trounce the Astros. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Mrs. Danny Paul is from Pennsylvania, as you may or may not know. Friend of the show. What on this post Halloween? Celebration, Leon. Is your brand for tonight? Tonight, I am having a treat, not a trick. Tonight, what was our winner of the last two brand brackets? Uh, the knob. Knob nine, I believe. <gasps> knob not nine year, right? Indeed. I found this little gem today. I have never tried it. I'm currently, uh, I'm psyched about it. Mm-hmm. That is knob 12. Sizable bottle. It's, uh, well, it has to be. Uh, <laughs> it it is spectacular. It is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, I it was about a seventy five dollar bottle. Ooh, uh, so it it's it's steep, but it's it was. You know what? After Knob won the last two, I would have never, ever bought this bottle. Like, okay, Knob, more years. But now that we know how good it is and how it actually compares in the blind taste test, I have mad respect for it. And Knob 12 is better than Knob 9. So it's a good thing that wasn't in the contest. Something worth investing in? 
Yeah, it's not gonna last. It's smoother than, and it's but it, oh, it's just wonderful. Yeah, I, okay. this bottle is not gonna last very long. All right, knob twelve. I'll tell you that investing in, which we'll touch on in a later segment tonight. Uh, I am having the uh, Hatch Hatchy Rick House. Oh, I like the Hatch 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 Water special. This stuff is like Vicks Forty Four, just wrapped around the glass and dances down the side. It's so good. Very smoky, if I remember that. Um, right, wasn't that? I don't know if I catch as much smoke as I do a lot of corn. Okay, like it's got a hug from like bear hug, like Andre the Giant bear hug. What's the proof on that then? Is it uh, five-ish? I'll have to get back to you on that one because I don't have the bottle in front of me. But, uh, <laughs> I don't mind being the biggest and the strongest. So I don't even exercise. <laughs> That's the kind of action we're talking about. Did you go trick-or-treating with the boys? I did. I did. Did you bring a brown with you? I did not. Mm. I did not. My because it was a Monday and I did not feel that that would be the best option well you're wrong so uh, you're yeah, absolutely I'm okay wrong and this this is not uh i'm not, I'm not splitting hairs here i, I am probably very wrong yeah kids are on sugar crack it's the most exciting thing and parents need a downer to try to survive the night and well, fun part is i did make a new friend in one of the boys friends was rolling with us and apparently this young man uh, enterprising young fellow uh, typically went out, got candy from like eight houses and then said, this is dumb. I want to go home. And while we were out with his parents, he didn't want to go home because he was with my sons and a couple of the kids in the neighborhood, you know, your crew, everybody's got a neighborhood mm-hmm. crew at that age. And uh, his dad's like, wow, you're staying out. You know what? It's because you got friends. How many? Wow. Are you, are you a dad? And he looks over at me and I was like, yep, those two are mine. He's like, how you doing dad? And we shook hands and he's like, should have brought a cocktail. He's like, you know what, man, fucking hey, you should have bought a cocktail. Yep. But what do you My neighborhood had most, not most, but a few enough to be respectable uh-huh. that had treats for the parents and the kids. Yeah. 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 My mother yeah. hung out and, and manned the table because uh, her neighborhood's only got like seven houses in it and they're all grown up. So she was like, there, nobody came by for a trick or drink. And I was like, well, I'll have to be more prepared next year. Wow, that's a great idea. We need mm-hmm. to get we, that needs to get on board. Like, yep. this is a this is a trick or drink neighborhood. That means you know what I want twenty one. We're talking about this. All you budding bobs out there that are looking for the next great thing, I want you know those eight ounce sodas that you can get. I want an eight yeah. ounce beer. Yeah. I want to get a little yeah. tiny eight ounce can for beer, and I want to be able to hand those out on Halloween because they're sealed. No, uh, no Tylenol or syringes or none of that bullshit. It's like, yeah, here sealed. Good to go. Good for you. I don't know that I can stomach giving out a dollar of these little airplane bottles each time, but <laughs> it rolls up and goes, trick or drink. And you're like, Oh, indeed. <laughs> I can definitely see it. Yeah. I, I think the saying. minis would be badass. I think that would be fun. Yep. Just go here. Yeah. Go dad. Yeah. No, no, no. Kids, go ahead. Take from that basket. Dad, come here. Come here. You take from this basket. Well, I, I made a nice cinnamon warm cider and I had a little bit of bourbon and a little bit of spiced rum in it. And mm-hmm. it was excellent. Go on. Yeah. But uh, you sprinkle a little fentanyl on there and everybody loves it. Let me turn the Just light. kidding. Let's get <laughs> Did you inspect the candy? Did, did you inspect not, it? I did not. 
If yeah. somebody's going to put stuff in our candy, somebody's going somebody to waste money to put stuff in our candy there. That's, that's dedication. We just got the gigantic yeah. Costco bag. We called it. Right? Yeah. I'm with you. Anyway, we got a great show, Leon. We're going to talk about, uh, assets, new asset class, perhaps. We're going to talk about I bonds. We're going to meet a dictator of his own little micro country in the state of Nevada. We're going to talk about the Circle K convenience stores. And we're going to talk about a little bit of parent education, five things. We're going to get to that right after we begin our first segment. Our first segment, as you know, now that we've talked about Brown, I'm talking about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where they hiding the scotch? Um, brown. That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Can I talk about brown? Comes to us from Forbes. That's right, the Forbes. Coming to us from the Spirits column. The headline reads, Is Scotch Whiskey the Next Alternative Asset Class? Should it be? Yes. comes to us from uh, Joseph McAuliffe, contributor. I write about wines and spirits and the hidden corners of the world. He's now my new favorite friend. We're going to click follow. Thank you so much, <laughs> Joseph. May you provide excellent content for us moving forward until such time as Forbes becomes a sponsor. The article begins. Over the last two gig. Yep. The article begins. <laughs> Over the last <laughs> Lunch date. Let's go. Sorry, let's go. <laughs> Over the last two decades, there has been a significant appreciation in the value of many whiskeys. This phenomenon has been particularly true of Scotch and Japanese whiskeys, and to a lesser extent, American whiskeys. Concurrent Fuck with this you, price lesser extent. and often intertwined with it, has been a second trend towards the premiumization of many whiskeys. What's premiumization? Let's talk about it. Premiumization refers to the release of expensive ultra-aged whiskey expressions, single malts and blends, and non-aged statement whiskeys that incorporate rare malts of undisclosed age. These whiskeys can retail for thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars per bottle. These whiskey expressions are highly collectible due to their small numbers. Many have a history of significant value appreciation after their release. Between 2011 and 2021, for example, the Knight Frank Luxury Investment Index, real thing, had Scotch whiskey as the best performing asset class with an appreciation of 428% among luxury collectibles, quote unquote. Classic cars, by comparison, appreciated 164% over that same period. And Andrew Sherley, editor of Knight Frank's The Wealth Report, Dubs these asset classes investments of passion. What do you think, well, Liam? Let me chime in here. I mean, right in the right off the bat, I'm starting to think about uh, the tour that I took over at Buffalo Trace and Rich. Yeah, yeah, and they and they were talking about how bourbon has gone up and down over time. You know, they talked about how Pappy uh, Van Winkle was a nothing, right? Like that was like the take home bourbon for the. The people that, you know, you even saw the the Pappy special, right? And mm -hmm. they're, you know, their their whiskey was, you know, flooding the market. They had more than people would buy. It didn't have any credibility. You know, every 
you know, bourbon was America's poor example of what real whiskey should be from Scotland and Scotch. And uh, I don't even really know if Japanese was a thing at that point, or at least it wasn't a thing that was here, but it was just, a, it was, it was seen to be a lame attempt or a cheaper option to people that enjoyed scotch. Yeah. And then something happened. And then people went, hmm, this is this is actually yeah, pretty good Julian, side by I read, side. I read the book on Julian. He had a busted down old hand-me-down distillery that had holes in it and rats and mm-hmm. shit and swamp and Louisiana uh, and Southern Kentucky. Yeah. I mean, the value of it went up and down. The reason I'm bringing that up to, to piggyback this story is I wonder if... That was a short-lived thing and bourbon and scotch and whiskey will hold its value in perpetuity. I do think of all of the different spirits out there, they have to be the most valuable. I think they're closest to like a wine because wine and whiskey both seem to do really well after aged and aging is what costs money. Right. You you have an asset sitting on a shelf for a long time doing nothing. And then you cross your fingers and hope you didn't ruin it over all that time. So it's, you don't cross your fingers with whiskey. They do taste the barrel every, every so often and make sure that's still good. But certainly with wine, you don't know it until you open that bottle and hope. Um, I guess my point is that these, you won't, you won't have that ever happen with like a vodka, right? Uh, vodka comes right off the still. It's bottled. It's ready to drink. I don't know. You ever had aged vodka? I've had aged tequila, I guess. Uh, Maybe tequila. The vodka is the number of times that they distill it. Other than that, I don't, I don't know that there's an aging process specific to vodka. However, who knows? Who knows? Right. So I just think it makes sense because it, it does have value. It keeps its value over time. And, uh, but there is, risk in it because if the bottom falls out i you know what well, what did we learn in the last you know pandemic when people are strapped either for cash or stress oh yeah they go to booze and uh i don't think that's going to ever change in our lifetime so it makes sense well, it's funny you mention that the whiskey index was launched in 2018 despite its stellar decade-long performance record it has underperformed several other asset classes from wine to collectible handbags over the last three years 2021 You're telling example, me the night friend that blanton's didn't beat out a handbag percent yeah it's a timely thing notwithstanding its impressive 428 percent appreciation over the decade the appreciation from 209 to 2019 was an even more impressive 586%, ample proof that the rate of price appreciation has been slowing. What I'm curious about is, does whiskey turn into something else? Like if you let wine sit for too long, it turns to vinegar. So what does whiskey turn into? Or does it just get magical? And you know, the angel cut is really the only risk here. What are we talking about? No, I don't, I don't think. I think it definitely can get damaged. I think light damages it just like anything else. Mm-hmm. So if you're not storing it correctly... Uh, then it will it will certainly lose its splendor. I I don't I hey I'm not I'm not a uh, chemical engineer, so I couldn't even tell you what happens to it over time. Other than I try to keep mine out of out of direct sunlight, and I've got some old bottles, and they taste just as good as the day I bought them. So you know the only thing you know my rule we open it. Yeah, I know I, I know you're. You know, when you're talking about asset classes, kind of scarcity is your number one thing. So if there's only so many bottles, then that automatically raises the value. 
right? But I am curious to know, is there something beyond just the fact there's only so many of them? So a little bit lower in the article here, it says the Scotch whiskey brand that showed the most appreciation in the first half of 2021 was Springbank, which I've never heard of, uh, Rosebank and Dalmore ranked second and third. Now I know Dalmore. Uh, mm-hmm. The Macallan, Scotch whiskey typically seen as the poster child of rare, ranked 28, down hmm. 17 places from its rank at the end of 2019. Um, so it says here, peated scotch is very much in demand, more so than ever before. The Asian palate was always about heavily sherried scotch, but there's very much a current focus on rare peated makes, Ardbeg, Lagmillan, Afraid. We're seeing huge demand. From a pure investment perspective, there are only two producing distilleries in the top 10, Springbank and Dalmore, are surrounded by ghosts. Silence, it appears, is indeed gold. Interesting idea. What do you think? Peated. Peated is the new hotness. Gross. No, of course you don't, Siri. Uh, it's the one thing I hate about scotch. That's why I don't like it as much as bourbon. I don't like the peaty taste. I don't, you know what? I don't like IPAs either. I don't like, I don't like the hoppy taste. So, yeah, I think, I think people that like the peaty like the hoppy. That's an interesting correlation. Not your bag. Dig it. Yeah. Uh, the 12 to 18 year old Scotch whiskey category is the most popular age statement for independent bottlers and represents roughly 90% of the single malt whiskey expressions available in the market. And what do you say? What was your knob? Was it 12? Well, there you go. You're on mm-hmm. the low end. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Bottles also have significant disadvantages. Once a whiskey is bottled, it stops aging. 25 year old yeah. whiskey will always be 25 once you bottle it. Also, most countries levy substantial excise taxes on spirits when bottled, raising the carrying costs of these whiskeys. But yeah, leave it in the uh, leave it in the barrel, right? Yeah. Isn't that funny though? That this is something that governments across the world have decided. This is where we're going to stick it to taxpayers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we and, and we all all just kind of accept it. It seems like that and tobacco yep. is like and gas. But those I don't know, two. Think about it, though. So you've got your individual makes and models, so to speak. You've got your distillers that are all over the Scottish uh, land. But think about the word itself. What what does what's the brand equity of the word Scotch? Isn't it always kind of kind of symbolizes kind of a higher echelon? Like when somebody says, "I'm drinking Scotch," they get on a meeting. They go, "Oh, that's piss, mate. It's not. It's it's I'm drinking Scotch." Right. You know, yeah, yeah. there's definitely a brand associated with because it. it's American. There's some really, really nice bourbons out there. But, you know, when you say I'm drinking whiskey versus I'm drinking scotch. Yeah. Scotch is almost pretentious at this point, mm-hmm. at least at least in the uh, the bourbon world. <laughs> oh, here's a fun one. A common mistake of novice investors is buying the cheapest cask among similarly aged barrels. All other things being equal, the casks are valued based on the liters of pure alcohol they contain, LPA. A cask with less LPA is priced lower. And under Scotch Whiskey Association rules, a cask must have an alcohol beverage content of 40% or better to be bottled as Scotch Whiskey. Casks lower than 40% ABV can't be bottled, although they can be blended with other barrels from that same distillery with a higher ABV increase the average proof single caskers abv is less than 40 percent is still saleable but usually sells at sharp discounts that's interesting i never knew that scotch other than geography had a rule 
find something the other day. Anyway, that'll well, be in the show the, notes. You're the Scotch guy, right? I am the Scotch guy. You, and it seems like, you know, what a dope. I don't know the rules. <laughs> anyway, we did a deep dive on bourbon. We're going to do a deep dive on Scotch now. So one of our few episodes, to. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what it is to be Scotch, not necessarily from Scotland, the Northlands. Well, if we did a, a brown bracket with Scotch, um, I think we'd have to save up for a couple years too. Yeah, so. yeah, I don't know, we're not do that. Well, I mean, <laughs> we did uh, the, the bargain bourbon one, so it's not inconceivable that the bargain Scotch could be a contender. But inconceivable, something that's a topic for another day. I don't think that word means what you think it means. That's what I think. Anyway, let's talk about brown. <clears throat> we'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into business news. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Nice business news comes to us from CBS News. We're going to talk about I-bonds today, Leon. I-bonds. I'm sorry, I have, to, I have to cut you off. I'm sorry that everyone, all the Bobs can't see this, but the targeted ad at you on this article is pre-flight scape sky harbor book now and it's got this blonde girl really looking up to this guy who's got a popped collar out of his sweater standing next to a cessna making him feel like a million bucks because he flew that cessna yellow cessna and like that propeller's gonna hit him yeah it's the ugliest cessna by the way ever but uh hilarious like that ad is supposed to clickbait you into saying well I want to be like that guy. I'm I'm going to go to Sky Harbor and learn how to fly. Bum, Sorry, bum, I, I know I totally nice derailed the conversation. I don't know where in but... Sky Harbor this is because there's no infrastructure behind it. So that's clearly not the Sky Harbor that I'm thinking of because that's in the middle of the damn city. <laughs> Irresponsible. I can't general. get over that ad. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> Pause for station identification. Yes, Leon. The ad is dumb. <laughs> All right. On with the show. I bonds. The I and I bonds, Leon, is inflation. Treasury has set a new interest rate for I bonds, the normally stayed investment vehicle that's seeing a surge of popularity amid decades high inflation. I bonds issued over the next six months will yield an initial annualized return of 6.89%. That's lower than the inflation rate. Or inflation bonds changes every six months based on inflation. In the most recent six-month period that ended in November, the bond rate was 9.6. Rivaling stock market returns and leading to a rush of consumers hurrying to buy them before the rate reset on November 1st. The surge in investor demand crashed the Treasury's website. What is an I-bond, you ask? It is a bond tied to the inflation rate. And it typically hangs out about within one or two percentage points of the yearly inflation rate. So when you hear all these rates in the news about 8.2, 8.5, that is a 12 month rolling average. So the prices are 8.2% higher than they were a year ago. And so if you look at the actual monthly inflation rate, it's actually fairly low. Only everybody's still feeling the pain because prices haven't really gone anywhere. But when you hear that eight or 9% number, that's on a 12 month scale. 
Treasury spokesperson said the government sold as many bonds in a single day as it sold in the entire period between 2018 and 2020, roughly $1 billion. While the current rate of 6.89% is below recent highs, financial pros say it's still a solid investment for people who have some cash they would otherwise put in a savings account or a CD. Now, the trick with these bonds, Leanne, is they are limited to a certain amount of money. I think you can only buy $10,000 at a time, and they hold on to it for a period of a year or two years, I think. So this is not a dump all your money into it and reap the benefits of the interest rate. They are short-term bonds tied to the inflationary rate. And they are an extremely good deal. I mean, get in on it if you have means. But you're talking about 10 grand and I think a maximum of 20 grand at a time. And so it's a wonderful moment in time investment that I think a lot of people should be a little bit more aware of because it's got a great return right now. There are signs that once we get through our supply crunch and we dampen our demand and all of these things that are going on, that's probably going to kick off Q1 or Q2 next calendar year, we're probably going to see record deflation. But for now, while you got pain at the pump and pain at the grocery store, you also have pleasure in the bond markets. Okay, I'm going to sound dumb. So I wish Mr. Jones was here to talk me out of this. Yeah, I do too. This would have been a good thing. So, but I, I do have a question about, okay, let's say it's tied to inflation. Let's say it's, you put your $10,000 in there and it's a seven or 8%, right? So it's, uh, you know, you put your 10,000 in and you're at 8%. So what is that? 800, eight or 900 bucks. Okay. So you got your 800 bucks and for whatever the life of the bond was, I, I don't know what the life of the bond is. is it a five year, one year. I don't know. No, it's less than that. It's really short. Okay. Short, short distance bond. Short term bonds. Yep. Okay. And then you made that 800 bucks. So instead of you losing the value of that money that if you would have just held on to it, you made that 800 bucks. Mm -hmm. But now you got to claim that 800 bucks in capital gains and the government takes whatever 40% bite out of it, Maybe right? 20%. Is it 20%? Short-term capital gains is 20%, right? So you're going to lose 160 bucks on an 800 gain. So you're still losing. Am I wrong? Well, technically, you're, you're losing, but you're still gaining $640. Okay. $640. But is that a smart investment? Six months ago. Well, it's $100 so a, a month in, in interest. Yeah, but is a smarter investment actually taking that money and beating inflation, not matching it, and then taking 20% bite out of it? Uh, yeah, the only thing you could do is if you see inflation coming, you could arbitrage things that have shelf life, like garbage bags and shit. Other than that, inflation usually creeps up on you. So as soon as you see the markings from the reports, that the news says inflation is up, you charge right to these I-bonds. Here's the deal. If we get back to a semblance of normal, like take, for example, how wonderful things were last year when inflation wasn't a topic in the news, your I-bond mm -hmm. is giving you probably one or one and a half points which you mm -hmm. could have probably beaten with a high yield savings account. So it's not a year round investment. It is absolutely a single point in time kind of thing. Um, but general Tizzo, who, uh, who's been on the show before, he's been talking about this for a year and a half and he's, he's putting the maximum amount he can in. So, okay. But think, think about this. Yeah. Let's say this, you bought a $10,000 car instead of the bond. Right. Yeah. And then you sold the car after because cars are appreciating way more than that 
right? Used cars right now. I'm not okay. saying a brand new car. I'm listening. Used I'm, car. listening. I'm listening. So they're appreciating at a much higher rate because of scarcity. But it's almost like you don't even have to claim that as revenue. Like you get away with it when selling when selling a car. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to like you know duck Uncle Sam here. In but the fact don't charge you sales tax. Like I could do that here in Arizona. You can't do that in California. Yeah. Okay. You got to pay tax on a private transaction. Yeah. I thought well, they were going in the direction somehow. of well, there's going to be a capital gain. It's well, if you're making money, pay the capital gain. That, the whole thing about capital gains taxes kind of gets me into my loath territory because you don't do anything. You make an investment, the money grows on its own, and then you got to pay tax on it. So it's, it doesn't require any work. You're not doing anything. It's all an automated process, so to speak. And I do wish that Mr. Jones was here because he could speak to the back inside of it. Uh, but in any case, when you're making effectively free money, yeah, tax man comes in and takes his cut. But even after that, you throw $10,000 down, you pull 10640 six months, 12 months later, that's 600 bucks. Yeah. Well, I guess, I guess the point is that this doesn't even sustain your current wealth. No, you're still losing. Clearly not. No, I think that's why they limit the amount. But you're still, it doesn't matter if you're limiting it. You're, you're losing, right? How am I, how am I wrong on this? Well, so you put your money in, losing anyway. you locked it in, you're going to lose. You, suppose you hold on to your $10,000. Your purchasing power is going to go down anyway. It's the, it's the equivalent of an insurance bet in, in blackjack. You're going to lose, but you're going to lose less. You've hedged it. That's what it is. I don't know. I mean, 10000 doing nothing versus 10000 plus $600. I'd say that's a win. But if you're doing 10000 doing nothing, then we're not even talking about you in this conversation. It means you're not an investor. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that table stakes? Isn't that where we begin? No, I, I don't. I guess if you're saying you've never invested before or you, you don't know how you to make your in, money you work. You 8000 you walk away with $64. Yeah, okay, great, $60. But still seems like an interesting opportunity for a return. But I am now intrigued about your used car arbitrage model. Well, you'd Leon you'd, 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 be, you'd at least be positive. You'd be least on, on the positive side if you had a car instead. Right. Assuming you don't have to pay any sales tax. But yeah, I like it. I like it. All right. Well, thank you for uh, allowing me to go down that rabbit hole. 101. Anyway, I-bonds. Check it out. Stayed investment vehicle from the Treasury Department. There's any Bobs out there that uh, would love to chime in on how wrong I am on this and why I, I, what I'm missing and why this is a great investment. I'd love to know, I guess making money is a great investment, but when it comes to inflation itself, it's a bad investment. Like your inflation means you're losing money at that rate, right? Your money is worth that much less today than it was if, when if you put you it in the loan. But if you put it in something that grows with inflation, then you're effectively taking $10,000 today and ending up with $10,000 at the end. Whereas until the government takes a bite out pressure on the dollar, you, you put in $10,000. Now, maybe you end up with 9,700 later. Well, you That's end up, you, you have 10,000. Yeah. We'll ask Mr. Jones when he comes back. Anyway, food <laughs> for further discussion and speaking of further discussion let's get to the crank file i could look for something in the crank file crank file whatever 
Tonight's crank file comes to us from Insider. Leon, we're going to lead about President Bo, B-A-U-G-H. The self-proclaimed dictator of a micronation in Nevada you've probably never heard of. <laughs> Kevin Bo is the benevolent dictator of the Republic of Malosia, a one-acre micronation in Nevada. It has a currency pegged to the value of cookie dough and maybe consisting of two kayaks. Stop a micronation it. is... A- Micronation is a self-proclaimed independent state whose sovereignty is not recognized by the international community. For those of you Bobs at home that are laughing, yes, there was a Family Guy episode about this. Peter claimed his property was a micronation. This is real. This is the real deal. Real news, people. How do you claim that you're a micronation? Well, that's funny you mentioned that. Let's get into the article. It all started... In 1977, when a 15-year-old Kevin Bow and his childhood best friend James Spielman watched The Mouse That Roared, a satirical 1959 movie about a tiny fictional nation waging war in the United States. I was struck by the imagination and creativity of that, said the 60-year-old, who asked to be referred to as Your Excellency or President Bow during a phone interview with Insider. Four decades on, he's lost contact with that friend, but the dream of ruling his own miniature country lives on. Bo is now the self-proclaimed benevolent dictator of the Republic of Malosia, a one-acre micronation with a population of 35 in the northwestern Nevada desert. There he is. Nice hat. He's 35 people living in one acre? Yeah. The micronation was born at a suburban house in Portland, Oregon in 1977. It was originally known as the Grand Republic of Volstein. Bo appointed himself prime minister and Spielman was made king. Bo conceded that back then it was a little more childish reverie. It was more fictional, I guess you could say. There was no internet back then, so we made it up as we went along. Spielman eventually abandoned the project, but Bo continued working on it sporadically while he served in the Army. He left the Army in the 90s and settled in Nevada with his family. Around this time, he said he started taking the micronation more seriously. The internet came along, and I was able to see that other people had created their own countries. So I took Melosia from just being on paper to having our own website. Bo continued researching micronations online, finding information on how he could fully realize one of his own. What is a micronation, you asked? I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. A micronation is a self-proclaimed independent state whose sovereignty is not recognized by the international community. For example, world governments in the United Nations do not recognize them as legitimate. They're often small, the outgrowth of a single individual, and viewed as trivial enough to be ignored by the established nation that, land, that their land sits within. The U.S. knows that Melosi exists, Bo said, but basically ignores it. There are at least 67 <laughs> separate micronations in the world, according to Insight. And there's a signpost <laughs> with the border of the land. <laughs> now entering Melosia. Oh, that's awesome. Micronations are usually formed by claiming the land they live on as their own territory. So in 1998, he bought a small plot in Nevada and claimed it as... The homeland for our country, which was then called the Kingdom of Malosia. For a short period afterward, it was ruled as a communist dictatorship. Bo said the communist iconography of the micronation used riled up the locals, so he decided to turn Malosia into a capitalist military dictatorship. <laughs> Bo is the self-proclaimed benevolent dictator of what is now called the Republic of Malosia. Wow. I mean, not the I mean, kind of dictator a lot of that makes people disappear in the night or anything like that. We're a family nation. That would really irritate the family if someone just suddenly disappeared. Uh, the entire kingdom celebrates Christmas together, of course. Mm-hmm. Nice smiling lady with blonde hair here in the picture. There are 35 citizens, all of whom are related to Bo. 
this number, he said, also includes the family's three dogs. There you go. There's how 35 <laughs> citizens live within the Republic. Ah, this is the kicker. All human citizens have dual citizenship. <laughs> it helps to still have that U.S. citizenship. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to go to Walmart or something like that, and we'd all starve to death. Citizens <laughs> vote in U.S. elections and pay U.S. taxes, which Bo jokingly refers to as foreign aid. <laughs> Bo said Molossians have very positive relations with local communities over the border. They make regular appearances in the nearby town of Dayton, Nevada, and participate in the annual Nevada Day Parade in Carson City. And yes, the entire fam damnly is in the back of a pickup truck in a parade. Bo I need to visit Melosia. Yeah. Bo said he has relative freedom to do what he wants in Melosia, but is always eager to avoid introducing laws that would contravene American law. Of course. I can pass whatever laws I want as long as I don't offend the bigger country around me because you don't want to make them mad. You can have your own money, your own stamps, your own whatever, customs, holidays, things like that. So it's really fun. Melosia does have its own currency, time zone, and system of measurements. I love it. Uh, Melosia's currency is called the Valora. It's paid mm -hmm. to the relative value of chocolate chip cookie dough. <laughs> Speaking of inflation. Uh, we like doing things a little differently here in our own country. We also have our own measurement system and time zone. The time zone is 39 minutes ahead of Pacific Standard Time and 29 minutes behind Mountain Standard Time using the unique and nonsensical Cookins system. Measurements-based links on the size of Bose Land and volume relative to the size of Diet Pepsi things. Not Bose Land, Bose Hand, right? Yes. My... That's great. <laughs> the links on the size of Bose Hand and relative. I'd love to. I'd love to have a drink with this guy. Bose also has a navy, despite being landlocked. Our entire navy is composed of inflatable kayaks. Adding that there are often training exercises. On Lake Tahoe. Of course, you have to do drills. Uh, Bo said the country is currently at war with East Germany, which ceased to exist in 1990, and was once in battle with another micronation, Mustachistan. <laughs> a micronational war is just something spamming your email inbox or something like that. The economy is tourism-based. Approximately 200 people visit Melosia per year. Tourists get their passports stamped upon arrival and are free to explore the sites of the tiny country. It takes about an hour and a half to see everything. And there is a customs office at Melosia's border, complete with picture. And they got their own flag. That's awesome. Bo leads the tours himself, but also works a full-time job. He declined to comment on his profession because it would take the sense of humor out of everything. Bo conceded that running Melosia is a bit of fun and a chuckle, but said that at its core, it is a serious exploration of what, of what constitutes a nation and what a world of micronations would look like. We're dependent on the United States for almost everything economically, food and clothes and all that kind of stuff. But within those limits, we take our nation pretty seriously. And at the same time, we have a good time. I mean, we have to make a stop. I would love to do one show. We have to go to the micronation of Melosia and visit the benevolent dictator. And that Let him live. Let him wraps live. Up the credit file. Let's get on to because Florida. Because anything goes to Florida, baby. Let the good times roll. Because anything goes to Florida, come on down and do your worst. Oh, Leon, that would have been such a twofer if it was in Florida. Oh, uh, I'm sure there has to be. We have to do it because Nevada at some point. Oh. 
And that's because Florida comes to us from NPR. That's right. Real news, people. National Public Radio. Circle K signs a deal with one of America's largest cannabis producers. Reach. See that? Put your weed in there. Venus <laughs> chain will sell licensed marijuana at its Florida gas stations. The outposts, which will have separate entrances, will only cater to Floridians with medical marijuana cards. Big gulps, huh? All right. Well, see you later. <laughs> the Circle K convenience store chain has signed a deal with one of America's largest cannabis producers to sell licensed marijuana at its Florida gas stations, a move that could be called an excellent adventure. The outpost, Wait, is it? Florida's not, it's not legal in Florida. Well, apparently, Leon, it's legal enough that you can go into the medical marijuana card. Fascinating. I didn't even know it was medically legal there. America's largest cannabis producers sell licensed marijuana at its Florida gas stations, a move that could be called an excellent adventure. The outpost, which will have separate entrances from the gas stations, will only cater to Floridians with medical marijuana cards. Now, here's what the fun part about, about a medical marijuana card, is it doesn't really take a lot to get it. No. There was a buddy of ours from Santa Barbara, if you recall, uh, Tin Man's homie, mm -hmm. the Jesus. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite stories of the Jesus is we went down to San Diego for General Tizzo's bachelor party. Wales vagina. I remember it was vagina, of course, founded by the Germans. And I got us a, a, a suite on the 12th floor of the Hilton down there, the one right next to the convention center, floor to ceiling mm -hmm. glass, gigantic joint. I burned like umpteen million Hilton points to get it, but it was a big deal. It was, it was an event. We took the train down. It was, it was a thing. We get up mm -hmm. there and, you know, people are unpacking, finding a place to crash, taking showers, doing whatever. And I look over at the Jesus and the Jesus is laid out on one of the shades and he's just staring at the ceiling with a big grin on his face. And I roll over and I go, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and I said, did you start already? And he's like, no, no, I'm just taking my medicine. And I said, what? And he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a medical marijuana card. Legit. It was a California mm -hmm. medical marijuana card, nice laminate around it, had a picture of his face, his name, blah, blah, blah. And I looked down at the symptom and it said depression. And I said, is this real? He goes, yeah, it's real, man. Prop 208 or two, or when did he say, what, what was the 215? Remember the proposition that made medical marijuana legal? No, whatever it was, he referenced, he referenced the state statute and he's, yeah, prop whatever, man. And I said, I said, so, so you're depressed? And he looks at me with a straight face and he goes, not anymore. <laughs> so for those of you that wish to go to Florida and achieve a medical marijuana card, I don't think the criteria is that extensive. No. And it, but honestly, we could, debate, we could debate that all night. I just, I just think it's the silliest thing in the world. You got alcohol legal you got tobacco legal but marijuana that's illegal i just i don't understand it it's only about 60 percent approval ratings so it's just a matter of time and uh grandpa joe commuted everybody's sentence for possession so yeah we're clearly getting to the point where the tides are turning on so get out there smoke a little yeah. bud have some pizza enjoy yourself well done <laughs> that's a good news for good news story for this florida where you go circle florida, k. wasn't it yeah circle k oh. Leading the nation. 
and Le- forward thought. For once, leading the nation. <laughs> that wraps up uh, Florida. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's get into parenting. We can make kids right now. That's why we're here. It's the mileage. Tonight's parenting segment comes to us from NBCNewYork.com. This one grabbed my eye, Leon, because this one has a very interesting title. It says, I'm a parenting educator. Here are five things I never do with my own kids. And the tag okay. for the article is, these are the well-meaning but unhelpful parenting strategies I've worked hard to avoid. Parenting educate. You ready? Okay. It's on the internet. Article it must begins, be true. No, nope, no way, not going to do it. These aren't the sounds of a defiant child. These are the words you should be saying to some of parenting's most popular yet most ineffective strategies. As a positive parenting expert and educator, I've put together this roundup of my top five never-evers These are the well-meaning but not super helpful parenting strategies I've worked hard to avoid in my home, and thus I advise other parents to do it as well. Of course, nobody's perfect, but if you can keep these to a minimum, you're better off in the long run. Number one, never pay for chores. I don't want to read. I've already failed. I've already failed that one. I'm done. I don't want to read anymore. This is is bullshit. Segment over. Okay. Why? Why is it? Because it motivates my child to actually do it. Uh, that's why. the dream world your kids live in when you pay them to complete chores or pitch in and it's harming their work ethic instead of helping them. Daniel okay. Pink, author of Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, argues that under this type of system, kids grow up thinking that the only reason to complete a less than desirable task is for a reward. The payout becomes an external motivator instead of an internal motivator in our kids stemming from a sense of goodwill, responsibility, and perseverance. So they need to learn that doing something undesirable just needs to be done, period. And there's a little bit of truth in this because we make our boys make their bed in the morning and we don't give them anything for it. They, mm-hmm. they have to do it. That's it. No no ifs, ands, or buts. Mm-hmm. So, mm, tough mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm failing already. All right. Ready number for number two? two? Mm-hmm. Never put kids in timeout. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm done. Mm, not going over. well for me. Moving on. Not going well. <laughs> this is a popular parenting technique, but that doesn't mean it's effective. Effective is another term. Here's why. The goal of any discipline technique should be training for better behavior while preserving a strong emotional attachment between parent and child. Simply putting kids in a corner or on the naughty chair does nothing to correct the problem. Instead, it erodes a sense of connection and creates a power struggle that can lead to anger and exhaustion as the parent tries to physically keep the child in timeout. Timeout also teaches kids to think, I must really be bad. When kids feel that they're bad, they'll act on that label instead of learning better behavior. Kids actually learn best when they maintain a secure emotional connection with a parent. When a child is misbehaving, it's much more effective to be present in the moment to help them calm their body and emotions and teach them the correct behavior to use in the future. I can already see yeah. what what is yeah. it? Yeah, that's horseshit. I mean, you're talking about a kid going, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know about you. 
but there's another level that kids go to or there's something that they do intentionally to throw something at the fence to see if it's still electrified. That's what kids do. They constantly are looking for weakness in the perimeter. And if you have mentioned many, many times that you cannot do X and they're going to keep trying to X in different ways and you just sit them down and have an emotional conversation with them. I'm sure that works for a psychiatrist kid. It does not work for mine. It does not work for mine. You know, uh, punishments work. We're already at the, we're already at a point in society where you can't get your ass beat. You're going to take timeouts away as well. Like how weak are we going to make this nation? How wussy. (laughs) Yeah, you're going there. I'm going there. Reach. Let's, let's make sure that there are no negative feelings that are ever felt by anybody ever. And that's, that's our goal, even though it's impossible. Okay. Sorry. Continue. This well, whole, this, when a child is misbehaving, it's much more effective to be present in the moment to help them calm their body and emotions. So that makes perfect sense for a child that's out of control. Yes, absolutely. Be in the present in the moment, calm them down, get them to stop throwing haymakers and, and scream. Absolutely. But once they're calm, then yes, you, you don't simply talk. That, that's one criticism that I have for some parents. You cannot talk to a toddler like an adult. Their prefrontal oh. cortex has not formed. They don't understand what's going on. They have no, they have no awareness of their surroundings. All they know is that these are little creatures of impulse in the moment. I want this right now. What were we just talking about? I don't know. That. I want that. So the idea of having a conversation with a, with a child of a certain age, I think is, I don't know. I had that one of the best child rearing books that I read says you need to treat boredom as a weapon because yeah. what kids are doing when they acting out is they're testing out the use of power and they're trying to understand what works to help them get yeah. what they want. And so if you, empho- if you employ boredom as a weapon, AKA timeout, it gets them to understand that you're not using violence. You're not screaming. You're not yelling. You're not, you're not physically harming them but you are ruining what they want, which is to do whatever they want. You're making them sit. And you know what? I'm okay with the power struggle part because I think that's what a a huge problem we have anyway, across society. Like I just, I really do think that we keep running into this and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. So why not just position the way it is? You you don't go out and just do whatever the hell you want. The cop comes up and and goes, can we discuss? What's going I, on with you right now? It's like, no, if you're breaking the law, you're going to get a get the cup slapped on you. And, and I'm never going to let my kid do it, but you've heard the phrase. Yeah. Let them put that fork in the, in the, uh, in the plug. See what happens. Yeah. I mean, let them, they, let they won't do that shit again. To the stove to know that it's hot, but don't let them touch it. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. With you. Okay. Yeah, you, you have to learn. Go on. We're never going to get through this. Number three. All right. What else never haven't I done? Kids. This is an interesting one. We all think. The smart one, the good helper, the troublemaker, believe it or not, though, even positive labels are discouraging. They set up a comparison and competition between kids, which, all right, let's keep reading. When we label one kid as the athletic one, everyone else sees them as not very athletic. When we ask our our helper to pitch in, we rob other kids of the opportunity to become better at helping. Labels also pigeonhole kids into one category or another. Someone labeled a picky eater could easily feel discouraged from trying new foods because that's apparently not them 
And the musical kid might feel like they have to remain in the band rather than trying out for a team. Finally, labels Fuck take the emphasis you. off of things like hard work, dedication, and teamwork that actually produce the positive results, earning a good grade, scoring goals, etc. I'm already hating this person. Continue. I'm, I'm um, literally hating everything this person says, uh, so and I don't buy it. I, I'm, I'm a little bit less rage at this one because I understand what I think she's trying to say, but the end of the first paragraph, they set up a comparison and competition between kids. Have you seen kids at school? Mm-hmm. They are the most competitive. Everything is mine. Everything is mm-hmm. inches of who's better, who's taller, who's fatter, who's stronger, who's this. They are judging themselves against each other all the time. Yep. So the idea that by you as an adult labeling them all of a sudden introduces this as if it's not already inherent. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I get it. I'm okay with this one, but I think the premise is misleading. Yeah. Number four, never force kids to clean their plate. I'm not even going to read it yet. Go. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm on board with that. I'm, I actually, when, you know, when I was a kid, one of the things I hated the most was you're going to sit at that, you're going to sit at that seat until it's clear and then you can go, or you can go to bed. I mean, that's something they said all the time. I choose the other route. You're just not going to have dinner. Hunger will get you or it won't. And the before dessert part, we outlawed dessert until mm-hmm. she knows how to handle it. Pumping <laughs> your kid full of sugar or any form of dessert right before bedtime. Yeah. Not a great idea. hundred uh, percent. It deserves for adults. Focus off fostering healthy eating habits instead creates tension between parent and child. You got to finish what you're eating to get a reward. I, I get that part. The way that I look at it is I have my kids serve themselves. Now, yeah. if they can pour their own bowl of cereal, great. Otherwise I'll grab the tongs and I'll say, is that enough? And then my reasoning behind it is you took it, you finish it. Now, there is a certain level that I will say, all right, you can't just take one green bean. So there is a little bit of that kind of coerced parenting on them. But I also tell them, don't take a lot if you don't want to eat a lot, because the last thing I want is waste. So in certain cases, I will send them back to the table to finish a bowl of cereal that they poured. Uh, And it's not because they need a reward. I understand what they're saying. here. The idea is that if you teach them that a reward is what they get, then they'll always seek the reward. That's I'm kind of okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but if you serve the child and then tell them they have to finish it, that kind of makes you an asshole as a parent. Mm-hmm. So that's where I come off on that side. I'm with you. Uh, this one here, I'm actually pretty okay with. Never spank. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, that's, you're going to get aggravated as a parent. You're going to be rough with them. You might grip a little harder than normal. Uh, I think striking a child has certainly gone out of favor. Mm-hmm. Um, I have shoved my kids, you know, just to let them know that I'm serious without trying to hurt them. Many parents resort to spanking as a last resort or with the mistaken goal of teaching an important lesson. But research has shown that even the most well-intentioned SWATs can raise levels of aggression, encourage lying to avoid punishment and erode the parent-child relationship. While spanking may sometimes stop the misbehavior in the moment, the child is pitted against the parent. They're in fight or flight mode and definitely not open to learning positive behaviors next time. I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm for it. Have you ever spanked your kids? No. Yeah, I did. I hope I never have to. A couple times and uh, 
the I never did it as a lesson teaching. Uh, there were times when it was the tantrum was so out of control that it was you need a shock factor to snap them out of it. Mm-hmm. I've used things like put them into a cold shower. Uh, I've <laughs> I've done a lot of things. Which I think to it's interesting because it, there's not actually right? any violence there, is there? Was cold yeah. water violence? No, but there's a couple things I've done because I really do think there's something to be said for snapping them out of this road they're down yes. because they're they're going down it the there's no road that's going to stop them. They're aggravated. They are, they're snowballing on themselves. And then, you know, something needs to be done. That's completely out of the ordinary that shocks the situation to go, wait a minute, what, what just happened? (laughs) You know, because otherwise the norm isn't enough. The conversation, the calming, the, the hugs, whatever we tried it all. There's, and and I am a huge, huge fan of number spanking because, you know, it's something I've tried. Didn't work. You know, I, I agree with that 100%. That's not uh, like I spanked like really hard. Now you can, yeah. you can corner them to a degree. Um, I've held them aloft and just let them kick the air. Uh, mm-hmm. I've, I've banged the wall to get their attention. I've whistled. There are, there are ways that you can do it without getting violent to, to understand when you, to, to break that kind of mania that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the idea of a staged now where I'm going to inflict violence on you, child. I don't, I don't think that that has. Go pick a switch like you did in the South. Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, there are elements of rage that I think every parent goes through when they're stressed and they're on the edge. And that includes yelling. Yelling is a form of mm-hmm. assault. So I can, I can say, yeah, there are probably areas where you, where you brush up against the wrong, but the tried and true, go get something for which I will beat you with or pulling a belt out of its loops or actually sitting down, drawing the child over your lap. That's an intentional form of staged process violence. No way. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Not my bad. Yeah. Uh, here's the sixth never do. You ready? Mm-hmm. Don't be too hard on yourself. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. No one's perfect. Make a conscious effort to avoid the bad stuff and love your kids. Yeah, she finished strong, She finished strong. The thing is, there is, and, and we go through these parenting segments, and I'm glad we do. And you know, when you become a new parent, you get all kinds of floods of advice. You know, we even, we, we talked to Mr. Jones as, you know, little mini Jones. Got a one-year-old, yeah. Came out and we, we flood him with advice and antidotes and your parents are going to flood you with them. And everyone's going to give you all this information on how to be the best parent and, and what worked well for them. But at the end of the day, and you know better than anyone because you got two kids and you talk to anyone who's got two, three, four, five, six kids, no two kids are the same. No two strategies are going to match. Mm-hmm. The only thing that's going to work ever is to be agile and to roll with the punches and to know your child the best you possibly can and what motivates them and try to use that as, as your carrot. Because otherwise you're going to lose the battle kids. They have more leverage than even they know they have. 
Yes. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, you, you try to hold some authority over them at some point, but at the end of the day, they're like, well, what are you gonna do if I don't nothing? That's right. I think, um, best advice I can offer is love them unconditionally. Make sure they know that. And if you are going to spend time with them as little as it can be, it needs to be a hundred percent. So what I've found gets me the best return on investment is not barking. It's not physicality. It's not growling. It's not threats. It certainly isn't spanking. It's 100% I'm paying attention to you. And no matter what, I will always love you. That gets me the behavior, the self-enrichment, the appropriate trajectory that I'm looking for better than anything else. So Mm -hmm. I think what a lot of parents worry about is I can't get them to stop doing what I don't want. And I think that sounds cliche, but if you focus on what you do want them to do, then what you don't want seems to fall off naturally. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my tip. And that wraps up parenting. Leon, are you ready? I'm ready. So far, Danny, I haven't heard a single logical reason. No, no, don't accept this. It's frustrating. And we haven't cured cancer. We have not cured cancer. I don't know the answer. I'm just ranting about it. Time for Leon Loathes. You know, Leon, earlier in the week, the earlier in the week, I was I was all teed up for this. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna <laughs> say it and then I'm gonna move on to the thing that <laughs> I really am loathing about because today is is a, a microcosm of every day for the last three weeks, but really quick, I have a mini loathe and then I'm going to go with my big loathe. My mini loathe is the people out there that are just anti having fun. You have a few events a year, right? You have a few events here. One of them is Valentine's day. Uh, you got 4th of July, you wear some red, white, and blue. Of course, if you're in the U.S., uh, you know, pick pick your country. But there's some form of Independence Day or Patriot, you know, Patriotism Day that you, you you celebrate. Halloween here is a silly holiday. I think we've all accepted that for sure. I, I think I guess if you're uber religious and you you feel like you're, yeah, you know. Halloween in some way is representing the devil and the devil's work. Okay, fine. Yeah, I'm going to give you a pass on this because you're so anti-devil. It's against your beliefs. But if you're not one of those, get on board. Just try for the four or five days a year in which we have 365 of them. Get on board and just have some fun. Put on a fucking costume. Hand out some candy. Enjoy yourself. Get out of your comfort zone. Be silly. Go out and socialize with people. Talk to people. Make it an event that you will remember. Because, hey, what, Danny, what did you do last Tuesday morning? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. And that is like 95, 98% of your life. You don't remember. There's a few circumstances every lifetime. Things 
typically are the very, very bad. Everyone latches onto the very, very bad. And that's okay, right? That's how we learn. You know, the really, really bad days. Somebody really close to you died. Somebody suddenly got injured. Your life changed because you you have an injury or your job was gone or you failed a grade or whatever it is. And it's there's a lot of negativity and you remember those days and latch on to them. You're going to live a much better life if you find a way to latch on to the good days. You got to you got to you got to drop those guards. You got to drop them. You got to say, you know what? I'm all in on this love. I can't say this is a mini love. I'm going to save my next love for next week. I'm still <laughs> so in on this love that I, I think it means a lot. That you, you should stop judging other people that want to be a part of something fun for a day. Put on a costume. So what? It's your one day that everyone goes, okay. I'm cool with that. You know, I, you, you go ahead and wear that ninja costume or a giant taco or a road cone or whatever the hell you want to be, you know, be fun, have fun. Remember it. It'll be a day. One of the a hundred days you'll ever remember for the year. Or I mean, not for the year, for your lifetime. Be like, remember that year that you rode the, you, you were a road cone for Halloween. Oh yeah. What did you do last Tuesday? No clue. No clue. So why treat a Halloween like it's just any other day? Why would you do that? Why would you treat a Christmas if you celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah like it's any other day? Wear an ugly fucking sweater. You know, pig out on a fried turkey on Thanksgiving. Go ahead. That is one of the best things about, in my opinion, society, our society, our American society, is that we have these things called holidays where you get a moment in time that everybody accepts that you get to break from the norm and be silly and stupid and have fun with your family. So fucking do it. Just fucking do it. Don't, don't judge people for doing, don't be too cool. Like, no, I don't, I don't, I'm not into that. I'm not into that. Are you not into that because you're stupid or because you're one of those people that are just too, too fucking yourself that you don't want to put yourself in a vulnerable position for five seconds and wear an ugly Christmas sweater. Have fun with it. Go ahead. Let your guard down. Enjoy holidays. Stop being the person that's a naysayer or negative. Trust me, there's enough horrible shit that's happening in your life and everybody else's life that you can take a breath and go out and celebrate a day where everyone's still alive because that's the whole point. <laughs> You're going to go out and celebrate with other people that are living and enjoy the day. And you're not worshiping the devil. You're following kids around who think it's the most glorious holiday in the world that gets free candy somehow and, and make it about that. I will say that I think the Latino, or at least I don't know if it's Mexican only, but Latino uh, Dia de los Muertos or Day of the Dead that makes a lot more sense. I wish we celebrated that instead. I think it's great that you spend a day remembering the dead and people that you uh, don't have around anymore. I think that's badass. But it's still all about having fun, being together, enjoying each other's company and 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 wearing silly costumes and listening to fun music and having memories and putting all that other bullshit down for a day and just enjoy it. 
And I just feel like they're so, it's so important. It's what makes us human. You just got to do it and, and be a part of it. So that's it. I'm done loading. Good feeling. So. Yeah. Enjoy the moment. It's a good theme. Um, you reminded me of something. So Day of the Dead is Dia de los Muertos. It's a, it's a celebration of those that have gone and, and passed beyond. It is also mm-hmm. referred to as All Hallows Day. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that are interested in making a connection, All Hallows Day has an All Hallows Eve or Halloween, Halloween. Mm-hmm. So you can celebrate the dead by having a picture and a shrine, so to speak, or some other way to respect the dead during the day. But the night before is where we pretend and we frolic with the dead and blah, blah, blah. There is a very, very nice movie for those of you that have seen Coco. Mm-hmm. It goes pretty in depth on this. Now it focuses specifically on the Latino culture, but there is a very strong contingent of that from Spain, which is in Europe. And there are many European nations that celebrate day of the dead. But to get back to what you're saying, Leon, hundred percent, I can take a day. Let loose. Be you. Wear something slutty if you want to be slutty nurse slash slutty Harry Potter slash slutty whatever. Or be the traffic cone. And be yeah. the best traffic cone you can be. Be silly. Have fun. Do it. Let it go. Go back to regular life and horrible shit tomorrow. Just enjoy the day. And stop judging everybody else that are trying to. Excellent little man. Which brings us to bottom of the bottle. This bitch is empty. Yeet! In the spirit of enjoy the moment, got something here from New York University. Daydreaming makes people more productive because it taps into the subconscious and encourages creativity. With a little strategic daydreaming, you can come up with more creative solutions to the problems you face. So when you are watching a television show and you forget about what the TV show was, you were daydreaming. You were probably thinking of something else. That something else was probably pretty creative. Can you apply that? If you are reading and you made it to a point in the book where you can't remember what the last few pages were, you were daydreaming. What were you thinking about? If you were stressing over something, that's not good daydreaming, but there is really good daydreaming where you drift away from the life that is right in front of your eyes and you have what is referred to as a eureka moment. That is where true creativity comes from. You can come up with something wholly new or you can link together multiple concepts to come up with a new insight on seeing things the way they are. Most creative people may seem like they are disorganized and out of it, Chances are they are creating the wonderful things that we will all enjoy tomorrow. So in the same vein of what Leon's talking about, take a moment to be with yourself, relax, let it go, and you might surprise yourself. What you come up with. That's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, or Mr. Jones. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please like, follow, subscribe, share with a friend. The more subscriptions and the more likes we get exposes us to others. We're on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a drink with us next episode. Same brown time. 
same brown channel bottleofbrown.com This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>